Hello, everyone, and welcome. You're listening to the Clarkson Ignite podcast, coming to you from the digital making suite in the Innovation Hub. Our mission is to shape this podcast to the Ignite slogan, which is Think, Make, Ignite. We hope to connect individuals across Clarkson's diverse community and give you, our listeners, interesting and unique content. Our hope is that you can walk away from our episodes learning something new and valuable, something that will truly inspire you. For this week's episode, we are talking with Tom Kasouf. He recently retired, but prior to that, he was the Senior Vice President of Snap-On Incorporated since December 2007 and was the President of Snap-On Tools Group since April 2010. Tom has earned his bachelor's degree in science and mechanical engineering from Clarkson University in 1974. He currently holds nine U.S. patents, and he has previously been chairman president and managing director of various companies in five different countries. Tom was also the donor of all the snap-on equipment in the Clarkson makerspace. This is actually the second time we've recorded with Tom, the first time his uh, files for his recording got corrupted. So we were very excited to talk to him again. Yep, it was great to have Tom on and we hope you enjoy the conversation as much as we did. Listener mail this week coming from John Warnin, uh, a friend of our super producer, Ben. He asked us, if you had to make one law that everyone had to follow, what law would it be? Nima, feed me your thoughts. Mm, probably something like don't disturb me during when I'm napping or something like that. Nothing for public good. They wouldn't follow it anyways. So you could end world hunger right here, right now, in this spot, in this little room. <laughs> And you're like, just don't wake me up when I'm sleeping. What would a what would a law for world hunger even look like? Don't be hungry anymore. There. <laughs> yeah, the law is you can't be hungry. So then I don't know. Countries would have to make it so that their people can't be hungry. It's an international law. We'll take them to international court. I'll lock them up in the the Hegel or whatever it is in Belgium. <laughs> uh huh. Is that your law? What? <laughs> End world hunger. Oh, oh, <laughs> dang it. No, I was thinking a little more selfishly, like, uh, uh, you can't ruin Star Wars movies anymore. It's against the law. And it's already if, uh, been ruined. Yeah, if you don't, if you break that law, you go to jail. All right, time yeah. to lock up everybody who's... I'm looking at you, whoever the, the last person to produce the movie was. Mm-hmm. The last Jedi was... Wasn't good. Wasn't good. All right. Anyways, away from Star Wars. Thank you so much for the question. Listen to you next time. So today we have Tom Kasouf back in the studio, this time in our brand new studio in the Ignite. What do we call this? The lounge? The. The digital making suite. Sorry, Ben had to <laughs> Not tell <the> us. Not the lounge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, Tom, you're back at Clarkson. I am. Do you want to take us in the way back machine and tell us how your experiences at Clarkson shaped your approach on and snap on and in your career? Of course. Okay. That's why I continue to be so readily involved with the institution because it's made such an important impact on my life. You know, um, I'm sitting here in this great space, which, by the way, is just perhaps one or two levels above 
you know, what we had in the early 70s, okay? Perhaps. I'm just saying, okay? It's uh, just a, an incredibly uh, encompassing space where I can see that it does actually stir innovation. Look, from my point of view, uh, there's a lot of ways that Clarkson has shaped my life because the education, of course, that any of us receive in university is not just thermodynamics, okay, or this particular, you know, biology course or uh, a humanities course. It is the collective of all of that direct educational input, but it's also the growth, okay, as a person, as an individual, and as being learning how to be a part of a community in a way that's sort of unburdened from your nuclear family. And uh, for me, all of that was true. Um, I did learn I wasn't the best student. I would declare that openly, okay? But I felt as though I learned a lot and I learned how to learn. And for me, that sort of unquenchable intellectual curiosity that was was deeply developed while here at Clarkson has served me well in my career. As for the the social side of it, um, you know, it was an interesting for me because I, I came to Clarkson with uh, 11 other students out of my homeroom class, okay? So um, that for me was uh, kind of bringing my community with me in, mm-hmm. in a sense. But um, to live in the dorm, okay, to have really what were kind of silly hijinks, okay? Nothing, you know, too dangerous, mm-hmm. although some <laughs> things are still talked about. But I, yeah, uh, you know, we find out at reunions. So, but that sense of community, of sharing experiences that were new, okay? Learning how to interact, learning how to influence people, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, these are an equally important set of my experiences, so when you get to uh, the first thing you you figure out when you you leave school, uh, you have a degree, okay, and actually you don't know that much, but you don't quite realize that yet. You get you know into a working engineering job, and you realize what you've learned is again, as I already said, how to learn, and um, you know how to take in information. And I felt I did learn how to critically assess the situation, begin to break it down into component parts in, in order to build a solution to whatever problems at hand. So, um, again, Clarkson has been um, an incredible formative experience for me, even though it was mm-hmm. approaching 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I've, I've leveraged that, uh, you know, pretty well. Wow. Yeah. That was an interesting perspective on it. Yeah. yeah. How do you think Clarkson has changed the most since you've left? Well... I mean, there are, my wife is also a Clarkson grad, you know, oh. class of 76. We didn't know each other here, okay? <laughs> but we met in, you know, working as engineers. So the first thing, uh, there are just so many changes. So I first began to attend Clarkson classes in, uh, in the fall of 1970. Um, we're about to, you know, we're in the 19, uh, you know, the 2020 year. So that is 50 years, Okay. So the first thing that is clear and obvious and direct is that um, Clarkson is much less homogenous, okay, than it was, okay. So um, women on campus, okay, the, you know, other diversities on campus are 
striking if you think of it in the context. Now, they're not that striking because I've, I've essentially been here at, at the most every few years since then. But mm-hmm. in terms of thinking back to 1970 and coming on campus and looking at the campus now and just in terms of the population in the community, quite different for the better, quite different. And then beyond that, of course, you know, everything was, you know, the dormitories were, you know, on the uh, on the hill. Yeah. And, you know, we walked and I'm sure that you've had many people come through and talk about the cold winter morning walks across the Racket River. Oof. Not uphill both ways, but cold both ways, yeah. I can assure you. <laughs> um, and, and so just the campus is totally transformed in terms of its physical assets mm-hmm. um, and clearly in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have this things like this, you know, incredible ignite, um, you know, center. It's just, you know, a fabulous, you know, resource. So a lot has changed. Yeah. Especially in the last year, even. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. ERC. Right. And it continues. I mean, that's that's the hope for the future yeah. is that Clarkson of course, has transformed over many decades, like any institution. Okay. Yeah. But that we can accelerate that transformation to be mm-hmm. ready for the changes that we anticipate are coming, and there are many coming to higher education. Yeah. So you've managed country uh, companies, not countries all around the world. That'd be insane. <laughs> <laughs> but companies all around the world in uh, in Russia and in Europe. Uh, what was that like? What What's the difference between the U.S. and in European countries? Sure. Well. Okay, I, I wouldn't want to bore everybody with all the differences. I will say this, okay. Um, I, I would say that one of the great elements of experience in my career has been the opportunity to work with people outside of the U.S., mm-hmm. okay. Now, look, um, like many people that attend Clarkson even now, okay, I'm a semi-local boy, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I grew up in Utica, New York. It's 137 miles from my driveway where I grew up to Clarkson. Mm-hmm. And um, and that was a big distance, to be honest with you, okay? Um, and then to have that local perspective, very, you know, I, I worked in Syracuse, okay? I mean, it was not, I was not exactly a world traveler, yeah. okay? Uh, I did go to a Montreal Expos game once while we were here, <laughs> so that was the extent of my international travel. So to suddenly have the opportunity um, to begin to travel internationally and interact with people whom I otherwise never would have met, to see cultures I never would have encountered. This was an incredible experience to me. And um, I tried to make the most of that, to extract an understanding of the differences and also an understanding of the opportunities that those differences brought. And I I can remember very distinctly um, in one of my first international trips in Japan, uh, working very hard to differentiate myself by the older and wiser people I was accompanying mm-hmm. by trying not to be the ugly American. Yeah. And so, and I say this with kind of good humor, mm-hmm. um, this is what I found was always uh, a great opportunity for me is to be interested in the cultures that I was encountering, okay, and interested in where they came from, what their history was. And, and I don't mean history in the sense of the textbook, but to learn about what the experiences were of the people across the table. And, you know, for the first two decades, almost everybody across the table from me in Russia and China, you know, in, in Europe and Latin America was someone older than me. Yeah. And, um, and just the fact that there was an interest to figure out, 
you know, what their experience had been, um, actually put me in pretty good stead from a business standpoint. And so you, you encounter things. I mean, I can't even relate, you know, some of these, but, um, you know, to have, uh, to have dinner in the summer palace in, in China. Yeah. Okay. In, uh, Chiang Kai-shek's uh, old villa, okay, to be invited to go off into the middle of the woods. And I was, was I must admit, a little worried about whether I would ever return, okay, <laughs> because I went, you know, fishing with some of my Russian partners, okay, and they thought it would be, I would find it interesting to go to one of Stalin's daches and to sit in his oh. bench, which is a little unnerving to yeah. say the least. But but to have these kinds of experiences, mm-hmm. um you know, and and so one of the things that I I always found fascinating, for some reason, was to learn that the Russians, for example, studied Mark Twain. Mm-hmm. So they this is part of the curriculum. They oh. they study literature. Yeah. I don't know why we find it that interesting because you know people read Tolstoy. Yeah. In the U.S. or Dostoevsky, but yeah. to learn that somehow that the communists were were reading okay Mark Twain just stunned me. You, you don't realize how connected the world is until you go out and experience a lot of it. And so we have structures, okay, social and economic and governmental that have points of views and agendas, mm-hmm. and they have to try to get those done on all sides. However, at the core, people are people. Yeah, And this for me has been the great, you know, joy and learning experience of, of doing business internationally. You get a playbook for everything. Yeah. And uh, when I worked for Pratt & Whitney, um, I would sometimes bring home, you know, the Russians I would entertain in my house and bring them over, okay? And um, boy, it was a very convivial group. They played the piano. They sang. They wanted to, you know, look at everything, uh, you know. Uh, and it, So you, you do end up making friends around the world. Wow. What do you think was your favorite cultural experience in your travels? I, actually, I pretty much enjoyed them all. Um, sometimes, some of the dishes that you're asked to eat and you know must be too mm-hmm. polite to refuse yeah. were a little unnerving. As I sometimes told my wife, I, I had to eat things I wouldn't normally hold in my hand. Um, <laughs> but I did enjoy Russia greatly. Okay. Yeah. Um, the people, again, as I said, are, are very convivial. If you want, you know, the good eating is clearly northern Italy for, for me anyway. Although I once was traveling, you know, throughout northern Italy with a Korean engineer, and I, I finally said, you know, Mr. Kim, what, what's the problem? And he said, I can't stand the food. And I was just thinking to myself, wow, okay. So it's it, just another example of how yeah. perspectives are different from yeah. different places. I actually just went to Italy, and a few of the people that – or on the trip with me, who mm-hmm. are from New York, they said, that, I don't even like the food here. I'm yeah. like, what? how could you? Yeah. yeah, New York Italian food is not the same as yeah. Italian Italian food. Yeah. Right. Right. It's not as al dente. Right. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that in Clarkson, the biggest takeaway that you took was how to learn. And I'm sure in your travels, too, you learned, like, you had to shift your ways of learning quite a lot. What do you think is the biggest advice that you would give as far as that goes. Okay. The biggest advice I'm going to give is not necessarily what people want to hear. Mm-hmm. Here's what I've experienced. If you, if you want to be successful, um, you don't have to be the smartest person in the room. I've never been the smartest person in the room. Um, I might have from time to time been the hardest working. So if, 
if you want to succeed, my view is that the core of it is do the work, be prepared to do the work. And so um, I would study for things, uh, you know, this thirst to actually understand new things. That's born at Clarkson in part, certainly nurtured at Clarkson. And uh, it never went away. It changed with the Internet, okay? But even when there were, you know, only books and, and libraries, okay, um, I found that that was something you really wanted to dig into and do the work to underline, uh, to, you know, that underlined why is something a certain way. And the other thing I would say is that in developing products or looking at, at future products or limitations on what products can be, um, I learned to try to take things back to first principles, right? So if, if, if you want – so the physics of things matter, okay? So if you want to make a more efficient motor perhaps or incorporate a more efficient motor, okay, what are the physical limitations, okay? Um, you know, what is going to be the, uh, you know, the, the lamination, you know, steel that you use, okay? How much copper can I put in this thing, okay? You know, how hot can it get? Um, and so what I found is, is that developing envelopes, okay, that bound, okay, what's possible. You can put cost in later. Mm-hmm. You can put in degree of difficulty later. You can put in things like manufacturing yield later. But actually trying to construct what, based on first principles, are the limitations, um, I found to be very helpful. And it's, it's an outgrowth of the things you learn in engineering school. Well, Definitely. I think Clarkson's a great atmosphere to create a learning environment. Mm-hmm. It's definitely created a strive for just learning new experience. So you get a lot of patents as we were doing our research. We noticed that. We were wondering if you guys, you had a favorite one. I know that's kind of a weird question. (laughs) (laughs) No, you know, so I've been an engineer, okay, but, you know, I've more often than not led engineering and other teams. And Mm -hmm. so one of the things you quickly learn, okay, is that it isn't about your work, okay? Mm -hmm. So, you know, patents have never been something that I've really focused on, okay? Um, you kind of wake up one day and you're surprised to find out that, um, that, you know, you have this number of patents. I am proud of the fact I'm a pretty old guy at this point. Okay. So I still have, uh, new applications yeah. still, you know, going into the patent office. So, okay. Uh, I'm sort of bemused by that, but, yeah. but appreciative. I would say that engineering is a very creative, I have found engineering to be a very creative creative pursuit okay i look at it that way to me it's it's being an artist in a particular way um and so i will say that my favorite inventions or discoveries or innovations probably are ones that weren't patented for various reasons as much as not you know you're moving it as fast as you can and there wasn't time for it yeah later on you learn that it's part of an important business strategy to decide when you, you know, patents are about divulging innovation, not about protecting it. And then the, the, the short-term protection you get is an economic incentive to divulge, okay? Um, and that you realize that, though, it's, it's a very important defensive business strategy. So you begin to patent. The thing that for me is, um, is uh, most memorable, of course, is my first patent, okay? Um, 
the the patent that is pending, which I I, I prefer not to talk about because mm-hmm. it hasn't been published yet. Yeah, uh, that is my most exciting is something that um, just serendipity uh, that came about while making a cup of coffee. Oh, wow. And realized that, oh my gosh, I can actually take this idea that I'm looking at here and actually make this into a potential product. Wow. We'll see if it gets, if it yeah. actually is approved by so it has to do with coffee? USPTO. <laughs> it doesn't have to do with coffee, oh. no. <laughs> you know. But I, I do believe that uh, one of the things that you you learn is how to make connections. In other words, how is this thing that I'm dealing with now? How is it like something else? Um, and, and this is, again, something that is an outgrowth of what I learned at Clark. So these connections are, are very important. Um, not every business that graduates of Clarkson will work with, not every field that they're in will be so active that it will be developing a lot of unique and original science. It just – life is uneven, okay? Um and so one of the things that I learned to think about is what field, okay, is investing enough money in R&D or innovation that it is likely to be developing ideas that could be useful in whatever business I was in that isn't, doesn't have the scope or scale to directly, you know, invent these things. And... Um, and and that for me has been very interesting. And so when you talk about patents, okay, sometimes it's um, looking at other people's patents that actually develop what are the gaps that they left, okay. Um, so I've used that as a defensive strategy in, in various businesses as well. Well, yeah. I know that it's been about half a year since we've last talked, and mm-hmm. you said you recently retired at that point. You retired was- actually that day. That day. That we talked. Oh. Uh, How has retirement treated you so far? I think good. I mean, I, you know, uh, I retired when I was 66, okay? Um, I had been pretty active. I had no particular need to retire. I could have, you know, kept on going. We still got those patents coming out. I still have patents coming out, right? There's still, I keep my hand in uh, here and there. Um, You know, it was time to just have a transition in life, right? So, first of all, um, I am the... The incoming chair, okay, of, of Clarkson Board of Trustees, I, I don't think I could have accepted, you know, um, that challenge, okay, without being retired because mm-hmm. I, I do think, uh, not for everybody, but for me, I think it will be demanding enough that I want to have that time. Um, you know, when you're working in a job as like I had, um, it's sort of a built-in excuse to say no to a lot of things, including <laughs> things you mm-hmm. would like to do. Yeah. Uh, because it's 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 fairly consuming time wise, okay, um, and now I don't have that built-in reason to say no, so I say yes a lot more, and I find that makes me has now made me pretty much equally busy as I was, yeah, but differently, mm-hmm. and uh, so I enjoy being able to say yes, okay. Um, I have a news flash for those that are thinking about retiring, all those hobbies you were now going to invest all your time in, okay. You'll have more time, but probably not as much as you think. Mm-hmm. So uh, so I have volunteered for a number of things. Um, mm-hmm. I'll write and, that down for when I'm ready to retire. Right. Uh, <laughs> you know, no, I, I do have one. You know, so I uh, I have a, an old 1948 tractor that oh. uh, 
was the first tractor I ever rode. It was on my uncle's farm, and uh, he left it to me. I've had it for about 14 years, um, waiting to restore it. So I will say I now have it completely torn down. Okay? Oh. My oh. wife is so proud of me. Not exactly, okay? <laughs> but uh, I have it torn down, and now you know the slow work will be to uh, rebuild it. So, so there is time to do some things that I, I didn't do. Mm-hmm. And travel. Yeah, I always promised Lynn that we would travel. So, have you traveled anywhere really interesting in the last? Uh, six we're months? going to uh, we're going to head to Iceland in December oh you know, wow, to see if we amazing. can, you know, glimpse the Northern Lights, which she always wanted oh, to do. That's and then, beautiful. And then we'll we'll come back uh, from London on the Queen Mary, which is also something she always wanted to do. So that's coming up. As the future ch- or. Chair, current chair? No. No, coming this, coming this weekend, yeah. Yep. Uh, as the coming chair of the Board of Trustees, do you have a specific vision that you want Clarkson to follow in the future? Well, uh, no, I'm not going to lend my, my you know personal view of this, but I will yeah. say this is that um, the university is engaged, is now deeply engaged in uh, developing a new strategic plan, okay? Uh, Clarkson at 125 has been sort of our strategic, you know, guidepost, okay, for I think eight or nine years. And uh, there is a lot going on in higher education beyond Clarkson's direct doing that will impact us, provide challenges and opportunities. And uh, so the university is deeply engaged in developing a plan to follow to leverage those challenges and opportunities. Uh, You know, an institution like Clarkson is formed to exist in perpetuity. You think about that for a moment, okay? You know, you know it, that's a pretty tall order. Yeah. And, uh, and a lot of things do happen that are outside of our control. So trying to navigate all of that. It, it, at the core of all of it is to be sure that Clarkson's viability and relevance is enhanced and our reputation grows and that more people can at some point say, yes, Clarkson was at the core of my life and my success, and uh, I, I have a lot of confidence that we're in a good position to be able to do this. I don't know about perpetuity, but I think for a very, very long time. Wow. That was all the questions we have for you. I okay. actually have one more question. Yeah, Are you please, excited yeah. to see the puffins when you go to Iceland? You What's know, that? those the, birds, yeah, oh, the, the birds, unique yeah, birds yeah, they yeah. have? They make a great breakfast cereal, by the way, if you've never had that. that oh, puffins. really? <laughs> I think it's some kind of organic cereal, but it, it's, it's okay. I'll have to try uh, it. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to be there, you know, four nights because I, 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 it's not assured that you will see the Northern Lights. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't think I'll get Lynn to eat any whale blubber, but... Okay, hopefully, uh, you know, we will try some local food. There will be an attempt. (laughs) I've eaten it, okay? It's it's not something I would say I look forward to, but I have eaten it. Wow. That's exciting, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I've always wanted to drive north and see the Northern Lights. Yeah, actually, I I have seen them. In Russia? No, actually, I have seen them. I've seen them flying into Iceland. Oh, really? Okay, yeah, yeah. It's something to see them at 40,000 feet. Okay. But, no, I've seen them um, – you can see them here occasionally mm-hmm. in Potsdam and, you know, at our cottage, which is on the St. Lawrence, okay, I, I have seen them from time to time. Mm-hmm. It, and believe it or not, there is a – this, I think, reveals me as a Clarkson geek, okay? You know, there is actually a website that monitors, okay, um, the solar, you know, flare impact mm-hmm. 
on the proclivity for northern lights being visible. And uh, so it does sometimes dip even where we live now as uh, far south as Wisconsin. Wow. Oh, yeah. You know, so. All right. I'll have to check out that website. There you go. Yeah. That's news to me. Yeah. I'm not as far upstate as here, so mm-hmm. usually. Yeah. I live in New Hampshire, so I don't know yeah, if I, okay. you can see it there sometimes. Maybe. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for All joining right, my us. My pleasure. Again, beautiful space that you have here. Yeah. Enjoy it. I will, definitely. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Again, I'm Nick. I'm Nima. Listen to us next time. Bye.